Father, we, we're so privileged to be able to speak His name. And we praise You for Your Holy Son, Jesus, whom we barely know. Teach us Christ, Father. Teach us Christ this week. Oh, Father, accomplish Your desire in our hearts that we should be conformed into the image of the one in whom you delight. Teach us Christ tonight, Father. Enable me, Lord, guide my thoughts uh, and speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, when you travel, sometimes you get a little dry. I don't know if this is a dry climate or not, but I'm going to need a little water. I'm kind of uh, drying up here. Um. So, we're going to just see where the Holy Spirit will lead us tonight. You know, one one reason why Jesus is not as uh, is not precious in the church is because we have lost sight of the uh, of the the awfulness of sin. We we've lost sight of the uh, the 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 impossibility of man on his part to ever be reconciled to God. When God created man, Genesis says He created man in His own image. And in His image and likeness created He Him. Now, uh, that doesn't have a lot to do, as we know, with what we see in each other, arms and legs and and so on. Uh, because God is a spirit and and when he created us in his image he created us and we are essentially spirit now that's a very important thing to everyday remember that we are essentially spirit the reason that's so important is because look what we spend most of the time on and most of our energy on we spend it on the thing that's temporal we spend it on the thing that is temporary and passing. And that which is eternal, we give passing thoughts. And uh, usually we neglect until some mechanism called guilt kicks in and motivates us to do what we're here to do. And, uh, and God created us uh, in... In communion with Himself, in union with Himself, like Himself, God is intellect, emotion, and will, infinite. Intellect, emotion, and will. He created us finite. Intellect, emotion, and will. And yet we had, we had this vital link with God of His own will. Thank you so much. This, this vital link. So in our finiteness, we had, this, we had this knowing because we had this connection with God. We had this union with God. There was fellowship and communion and relationship. Unfettered and unbroken, untampered with. It was pure. And, and so man was capable of thinking God's thoughts. And when God spoke, he could understand because the, there was this link intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. Now, in uh, 
in choosing to believe the doubts that Satan brought and choosing a path of independence, that vital link was broken, brothers. We know that. But we need to remember that often, that, that it was irreparably broken. Man was finished. It was over. There was, at that point, there was nothing men could do. If, if, uh, if men uh, were to have an approach to the throne of God, they wouldn't have had an argument. There was no leverage. There was no way to obligate God. It was a just sentence of death. It was a just sentence of separation forever from God, from life, from love, from light. It was, it was over. It was unfixable. Had there not been a redemptive plan on God's part, and I believe that is somewhat the theme here this week. Without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, without a concept of God's redemptive plan, in times of pressure, people go to pieces. In times of pleasure, people cast off restraint. Without a concept of God's redemptive plan, people perish. People will in times of judgment, will be uncovered without a concept of God's redemptive plan. And, and without God having a plan, without, without the fact that, as we're going to get to in Hebrews, that God, that Jesus, uh, or in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus agreed to the redemptive plan before the foundations of the earth. Now, these are, these are grand thoughts in the heart of God in spite of the fact that it would cause Himself untold suffering, untold grief, undeserved agony. But He took upon Himself the responsibility to bring man to a point of redemption, and therefore we have hope. And Christ is that answer from God. Now, you know, I always have thought of the atonement as a necessity for man. And it definitely is a necessity for man. But there is, there is one sense in which if God could have said to man, I forgive you, if, if God had been free to say to fallen man, I forgive you, I don't see anything in man himself that would have kept him from saying thank you and receiving pardon. But God could not be both just and the justifier of a lawbreaker without a penalty being meted out on lawbreakers. And the penalty was death. So it's quite a dilemma. And, and one day, by the Spirit of the Lord, I saw something that was so precious that I just, I just said in awe. I, I said, Father, 
The atonement was a necessity for you. For you to be just and the justifier, there had to be an atonement. Father, for you to accomplish your desire, you agreed to the sufferings of your Son. For you to accomplish reconciliation, you agreed to the most unthinkable thing that ever could be. God died. I, I don't... Our, our mind, my mind doesn't, doesn't function with that thought. That Christ died. Eternal life died. How can it be? Eternal life died. Eternal life. Sinless God, holy God, became sin. I mean, there are so many unthinkable factors in this that you, you can't help but be moved in your heart to give God what He wants. To say yes to God. To be a man that holds nothing back from God. How can we excuse holding something back from God who was willing to do and go to the lengths that He went to that He could have us reconciled to Himself? Another mystery is what He saw in us to want us reconciled to Himself until you understand that He wanted a, a backdrop in which to, in a glorious way, manifest His glory in the earth before the sons of men. And redemption was a wonderful way for man to see the glory of God. And the defeat of the powers of darkness is a wonderful way for all of the creation that God has created to see the glory of God. For it's through the defeat of Satan and through the, the raising up of a holy nation, a holy people, that the wisdom of God is manifest even to the powers of darkness. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to Your name, Father. Hallelujah. Apart from God's own intention and own determination, there would be no salvation. There would be no redemption. And that redemption could come through none other than Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, any time under any circumstances that I talk about Jesus, I always uh, use this verse. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus was now 30 years old. He had no public ministry up to this point in His life. He was tempted in many points as we are uh, at that little house in Nazareth and at that carpenter shop. And before his life was over, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, taking upon himself the, the form of man, 
that he might be called our that he might call us brethren and here we see when he came for to be baptized at the river jordan lo a voice from heaven spoke saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased now uh i asked a greek speaker from athens who i sat next to one day and and she had a greek bible in her lap and uh, I had six hours to spend with her on a flight from Amsterdam to Toronto and uh, come to find out that she had prayed for a man of God to sit on the plane beside her because she was hungry to know the Lord and had had heard uh, a little bit about the Lord. In fact, was going to Toronto to uh, because she heard of a Greek uh, colony in Toronto that had been fulfilled with the Spirit. That's the way she put it. And uh, and she was so hungry for God, she was going there just to vacation, spend her vacation time with Him. So she, she just uh, asked question after question after question, literally for six hours. And uh, for the whole six hours, I managed to never say the Greek says. Uh, I always says uh, I always ask her what does the Greek say, and this is one of those places. And I ask her what does the Greek say, and I said I, I don't want to just know the grammar, just a transliteration, but if you'd just think about it for a minute and give me the full flavor of it. And so she thought about it for a minute, and then she had this this revelation smile you, you you've had it i can tell and and uh and so she said this is saying this is the father is saying this is my beloved son in whom is my total delight and that impacted me i've shared this with pastor clendenin years ago and and Pastor Clinton, and it still impacts me when I think of what that means. And it is liberating. How many know the truth sets you free? This is my beloved Son. In Him is my total delight. This Redeemer, this Lamb of God that came to be our substitute sufferer, for the penalty of a broken of the broken law, law that we broke, is God's total delight. Now, what what that means to me is that apart from Him, God has no delight. Now, I've read similar uh, translations since that time that bear this out. That God's total delight is in Jesus. If it's not Jesus, God doesn't delight in it. It can be very religious. But if it's not Jesus, God doesn't delight in it. It can be full of Scripture verses. It can be full of God words. But if it's not 
Jesus. God has no delight in it. Memorization, fasting, prayer, all the religious stuff. If it's not Jesus, God has no delight in it at all. Uh, I was a veteran missionary by then. And, and that's one thing the Lord spoke very clear to, clearly to me. You know, if, if any memory I have of missionary work does not translate into Jesus, God had no delight in it. But Father, what about the sacrifice? What about, what about the inconvenience? No, if it's not Jesus, if, it do, if it's not of Him, for Him, by Him, through Him, God doesn't have any place for it. There's no, there's no middle ground here, folks. There's, there's, there's no, you know, everybody's always wanting a, a gray area, a black area, a white area, and a gray area. And the modern church lives in the gray area. The gray area God calls vomit. He's gonna, he's gonna vomit that mess out of his mouth because it's full of substitute for what He delights in. It is counterfeit. It is flesh. It is strange fire. In every response of God to what man can produce, God has hated it. And He still hates it. If it's not Jesus, He hates it. Now, it's a, it's a marvelous truth to get a hold of. Because it'll save you a lot of wasted energy. It'll save you a lot of needless sacrifice. You know? To obey is better than to sacrifice. Because if we're obeying God, you know what He's doing? He's doing what He determined to do before we were created. To have a people predestined to be conformed into the image of of His Son in whom He delights. He's going to have a whole kingdom of people that, that, that is a companion, an eternal companion for His Son. That's what He's doing. That's what He's about. That's on the main burner in God's, on God's agenda. Now, IBM... General Motors, the governments of the world, they don't have any recognition for that. And they belittle it. And in, in the arrogance of end-time godlessness and lawlessness, the nations of the earth are shaking their fist in God's face. And He has a controversy with this nation and the nations of the earth Every bit is severe. And for this nation, I can't believe that it's even more severe than the controversy he had with Israel in Hosea's day. Because we are a wicked, willful people in spite of God's grace, in spite of God's mercy, in spite of God's sacrifice, in spite of God clearly speaking concerning His will. Clearly speaking, concerning what His desire is, what His intention is, 
to have a people that are compatible and will be an eternal companion to His Son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise His name. Now, I want to put in a warning here. Uh, I'd like to do it perhaps from Ezekiel chapter 14. And that warning is this. That if there's anything you want more than you want Jesus, God will let you have it. And that's the worst thing could ever happen to you. America today is filled with, I believe, a large majority of what calls itself the church is a church in deception. A church who through itching ears have, have been given a deceptive uh, a deception from God. A deception from God. A church with itching ears. The church, by and large, is a reproach to the name of God. The church, almost without shame, clings to its own agenda in the face of knowledge, in the face of revelation. They're still preaching here and there that declares the intention, the will and purpose of God. But people don't want to hear it because their agenda is precious to them. And that agenda is always birthed in insecurity. And, and, and men to follow Christ, when they find out they have to leave everything, you know, they run back to what makes them secure. And I want to tell you that to me the most dangerous place in the world is the church in terms of deception. We read here, Then came, this, came certain elders of Israel unto me, Ezekiel, and set before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, should I be inquired of it all by them. Iniquity, I teach uh, our, the people we're discipling that every time they read the word iniquity, to think willfulness. Willfulness. There's sin and there's iniquity. Sin can be missing the mark. Sin can be unintentional. Iniquity is never unintentional. Iniquity is willfulness. Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in Your name? Did not we do many wonderful works in Your name? Did not we cast out devils in Your name? Depart from Me, I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity. You did it all for self. You did it all. You took holy things to reach your agenda. You took holy things. You used me to reach your goals. It's called idolatry. 
Worshipping anything that was meant to be used is idolatry, but so is using anything that was meant to be worshipped is idolatry. And, and just look for that in your own life and look for that in the church. When you see it, be ruthless and brutal with it. Especially in your own life. Be brutal with it. Iniquities separate us from God. God couldn't hear the psalmist's prayer. Iniquities caused God to not hear His prayer. Iniquities. Look for it uh, in the Scriptures. Alright, they have set their, the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet. What were they coming for? To hear the word of the Lord. Remember the group that went to Jeremiah and said, If you'll just pray what God wants us to do, we'll do it. And he prayed. And he said, you're not to go to Egypt. And they went anyway. That's what we're talking about. Uh, they, they, they set up the stumbling block and then they come to hear what the Lord's going to say. I, the Lord, will, will give, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, of their idols. And that, that's what, that's, if I paraphrase that, that comes out. If there's something you want more than you want Jesus, that is God's total delight, and apart from Him, God, God doesn't recognize anything. Everything is for Him. Everything is for Him. And, and if there's something that, with the kind of revelation we have received, brethren, if there's something that we want aside from Him, or plus we, we want something of Him and something else, God looks at that as idolatry. It's not, it's not, it, it won't be put up with from God's point of view. Now we water it down. We rationalize it. We, we let human reasoning get a hold of it until it becomes palatable to us and palatable to the culture and preferred in the culture. And even much of it comes to the church and people call it God's blessings. Because after receiving revelation, and you know, you don't even need a great revelation of something so pure as God's Christ to be held accountable for it. There's a, that's not a revelation of just, just a a person or a revelation of just a, a, a... That's a revelation of spirit. That's a revelation of truth. And if we just, from the very beginnings of revelation about this Christ of God, if we just cling to that in all of our decision making, in all, in all of our priorities, we'll, we'll avoid this matter of idolatry and iniquity. But, but you and I, I believe we're not talking about elementary revelation. I believe that we have, we have heard the deeps of God speak to the deeps of our soul. I think we are men who know something about the life of this Jesus in, in our soul. 
that we know something about His walk in us. We know something about personal communion with us. We know something about those unrepeatable personal experiences with, with Him that are private, that aren't even shareable with other people because they wouldn't understand those unrepeatably personal encounters with God's Christ. And then if on top of all of that, there's something we let weasel its way into our affections that we want more than Him. And we cling to that. And, and we go to Him. And, and in spite of what we know, we try to get God to approve this. I believe that that is exactly what happened. When uh, Oral Roberts went into his prayer tower years ago and came out saying that God said if he didn't raise eight and a half million dollars that God was going to kill him. A lot of people said, oh, that's foolishness. He didn't hear God say that. And I said, don't be too sure. Don't be too sure. I believe a man can go into his prayer closet with his agenda intact with His plan already conceived in His mind, and go to the Lord in prayer, and just as God sent a lying spirit through the mouth, uh, through the mouth of the prophets of Ahab to Ahab to, his, to bring him to his death, that God will send a lying spirit to a prophet today who prays with willfulness in his heart and idolatry in his heart. And this is what, to me, is the only explanation of such Foolishness in the church! Foolishness! Reproach! Making a laughing stock of the name of God! Standing up and saying, the Lord said, the Lord said. And the, and the fearful thing, brothers, is that in many cases, now, there may be some of those people very immature and they're mimicking other people, but in many cases, those men heard from God. They heard from God, but they heard from God according to the iniquities in their heart. Amen. It says, therefore, say unto the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn yourself from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abomination." For every one of the house of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me. See, and they just did that with their thinking at first. And setteth up his idols in his heart. They didn't feel separated from him. They were still going to the temple. They were still hearing uh, Ezekiel preach, or in this case, uh, the prophet of exile. But they were still hearing the word of the Lord. It's still... Uh, stirred up memories in them. Memories of past glory. And they mistook that stirring up of memories to be some kind of a holy sanction. It happens today. And he says, uh, which separated himself from me and set it up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself and I will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and I will cut him off from the midst of my people and ye shall know that I am the Lord. 
And if the prophet be deceived when he hath spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel, and they shall bear the punishment of their willfulness. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, saith the Lord." What humility for us, a rejected, holy, pure God, in spite of rejection, in spite of all the revelation, to still long after them for Himself. What humility on God's part. And we see that that determination to have a people increases and increases and increases. But I'll tell you that the people that know most about God are the people that will be dealt more severely with by God who reject His way and His man and His Son and His plan. Jesus represents everything that God delights in. Hebrews chapter 1. God who at sundry times and different manners Spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, not a shadow of his person like we are, made in his likeness. We're just a shadow of what God is. Even when we've been brought back into vital union with God. But He's the exact representation of all that God is. And and upholdeth all things by the word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship Him. And of the angels, He saith, who maketh His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of Thy kingdom. 
Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They, these works shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make... Thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, and that, that word neglect is used in Matthew 22, that means, and it says that the people who were invited made light of the invitation. Same word. How should we escape? You say, well, I'm not making light. You know, the, world, the backslider or the casual follower says, I'm not making light of this great salvation. Oh, maybe not in from our point of view, but from God's point of view. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. And if we get some kind of mixture in there, it's making light of it from His point of view. It doesn't need to be tampered with. Oh, Brother Ravenhill lies a-dying tonight in Lindale. He's, this is his 51st day without any nourishment. He, he's not able to to eat. Now, I don't know how many times he said to me, Son, you'll never know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Do you know what this flesh did when it heard that the first time? It, it chills went up my back. That's the flesh part of me. The flesh part of me didn't want to hear that. You know, you know you know you never hear a truth like that just to know intellectually. You hear a truth like that, you know you're gonna know it experientially. You know. And the flesh man recoils from that. But immediately that man birthed in me by the will of God said, I can trust Him with that. A God all-wise. A God all-knowing. A God all-loving. A God all-powerful. And He has a will for me. And He has a plan for me. And He has scheduled my life according to His purpose. What kind of man would I be to recoil from that? What would I want? More than I'd want all wisdom deciding for me. What would I want? More than I want all love choosing for me. Yes, it will be death to the flesh every time. It's a part of the plan for unto this were we called.
How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? A salvation that's neglected over things like temporal things, temporal values. Men neglect salvation. In this country, men neglect this provision of God. Just, just, just over temporal things. I mean, I mean, and don't even worry about it. Don't even give it a second thought. And the, the church's attitude towards this great salvation puts sinners in the position where they think God is not going to be concerned over immorality. They get a false conception of what God's like from the church. It's called holding the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God will be manifest on those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Who misrepresent Him. Moses misrepresented Him one little time and didn't get to go into the promised land. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. For unto the angels hath He not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Now we're talking about man. Thou made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus. Who was made, who also was made a little lower than, than the angels. For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, it's not that he had imperfections that needed to be perfected, but there's no such thing as an untested virtue. We may know virtuous things, and we may have virtuous capacities and capabilities, but they're not virtuous until they're tested. Just knowing it is not virtuous. And with all that Christ was, what made it perfect was the sufferings. And it was perfect. Perfect. Without any requirement of improvement. Now this one is, you know, this this all things for Him. All things for Him. The man who lives in all things for Him will also be the man who lives in all things through Him. If you want everything you do to have the touch of God on it, 
be sure everything you do is for Him. Because all things for Him means all things through Him. And that's how Jesus lived His life. Jesus was on this earth what God intended man to be. Lived His life as an unfallen man. And I won't take the time, but if we went to Philippians chapter 2, we'd read of the emptying of Jesus, laying aside advantage, living His life dependent on the Holy Spirit. As an unfallen man, Jesus Jesus is in heaven as an unfallen man. Tempted in all points as we are. How did he how how did he do that? Well, he he just limited himself to all things for him and all things through him. He would do nothing that he wasn't told to do by the Father. He would say nothing that the Father didn't tell him to say. He never acted independently of the Father. If Satan could have just got him to act independently and met a legitimate need of hunger apart from the Father's will, it would have all been over. Something, in, especially as church leaders, that we need to understand. We rob God of a of, of opportunities to really glorify His name through our lives by by always delivering ourselves from inconveniences because they are legitimate. You know, I have a legitimate need. Now, now it was legitimate for Jesus to be hungry after a forty-day fast. It was legitimate, but Jesus would not satisfy. A legitimate need apart from the will of God. And the will of God put him in the wilderness. The will of God put him on a fast. The will of God made him subject to temptation. And it would be the will of God that fed him. And that gave him bread. And he, But he, this Jesus laid aside advantage. And, and lived his life. And, and by being the captain of our salvation, or the leader of our salvation. I mean, now, a leader is followed. He's the captain of our salvation. He leads, we follow. He doesn't point the way and say, go that way. He leads the way and we follow. His, his being perfected was by being meek, Towards the Father, being dependent on the Father, and being submissive to the Father. And every man that follows Him will walk that path. There's not another path. There's not a 20th century path. There's not an American modern church path. God's total delight was lived out in the captain of our salvation. And if you are going to have this salvation, it will include meekness towards God, the fear of the Lord, a trembling at His Word. It will include dependence on God, total dependence on God. And that's got to be tested to be virtuous. And it will include submission to the will of God, explicit exclusive submission to the will of God. There's no other salvation. 
He's the captain of our salvation, made perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For the which cause we're all of one. He's of God and we're of God. We're like Him because of Him and for Him. And therefore, because the sanctify, He who sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one, for which cause He is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare Thy name unto Thy brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto Thee. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. I believe there's a day, and I'm looking so forward to it, I live for it. A day in eternity when when we will have understanding that we don't have now, we will have some parts of the puzzle put together that we don't have now, and there's just going to be an awesome reading of a book like Hebrews to the masses of redeemed people, and and that it will be an unbelievable experience as it all makes so much sense to us of the intricate designs of a determined God to bring deliverance to a people who all their lives had lived in the fear of death. Oh, can you imagine... Take the streets of gold. I'll give you that. Just don't take that away from me. That there's going to be such a reading in eternity. To a people that have, that have come into full light and full redemption. And there's going to be a standing and a reading. Remember how Ezra had the law read and the people wept? Oh, I can't imagine the range of emotions that we will experience there in those new bodies in the presence of God and the reading of the Word. What is it? It's the Word of His power. And it comes like life to us. Not like life. It is life to us. A faithful and merciful high priest. Now, 1 John 4.17 I didn't even have to say in closing. You know, when you have a restless crowd that don't really want to be there anyway, you always need to say in closing about three times. First John 
4.17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in the world. As He is, so are we in the world. Brothers, this world is the place of Christ's rejection. If Christ had come in Ezekiel's time, He would have been rejected. If Christ were to come, this is Holmes County, if Christ were to come to Holmes County, as moral as it seems to be, He would be rejected here. You can't go any place. There's not a corner of the earth. There's not a remote village. There's not a culture ready to accept Christ. He would be rejected. We are as He is. But we are in the place of His rejection. And if you remember that, it would be so helpful. I mean, that's the way it is. It's not an accident. It's not something God's up there wringing His hands over. This is an appointment. We are here for His pleasure. Now, does that mean... You know, I, and I'm not going to take this completely away from what that means. Revelation 4.11. We're here for His pleasure. All things are created for His pleasure. You know, and and when I make choices that please him, it gives him pleasure. But how am I abled, enabled to make such a choice? That's the real pleasure God has is enabling me to make such a choice. See, we're here for His pleasure. Now, does that, does that mean He needs me? That I make Him complete? That He's lacking? That, that when He gets a bunch of people redeemed, that He's really going to be a great God? There's nothing lacking in Him. And yet we're made for His pleasure. But, but it's not a need to be added to. We're, the pleasure we give Him is giving Him something to give to. It's His pleasure to give to us. It's His pleasure to enable us. It's His pleasure to make a promise to us that causes us to go to the lion's den and then deliver us out of the lion's den in front of everybody watching and the very people that had us put in it die in it. It's His pleasure to do that. But we won't trust Him enough to let the lions get hungry. We're always, through human reasoning, figuring out and finagling your way out of what God wants to do to show His glory. Remember a man named Haman? He made a gallows for Mordecai. Mordecai had a commitment to the righteous processes of God that wouldn't allow him to turn to the right or to the left. Gallows or no gallows! The three Hebrew children said, Our God can deliver us, but if He doesn't, we won't bow. Stoke your furnace. 
We won't bow. But you know, we never get that close. We we figure out where our you know, and we come in with little compromises to save our neck, to save our embarrassment, to save our reputation. Who died on Haman's gallows? Haman died on Haman's gallows. More Hamans would die if more Hamans got to build gallows. If there were more Mordecai's that would stick in there with commitment to righteous processes of God, there'd be more demonstrations of His glory. Who died in the fiery furnace? The men that threw Him in. That threw Him in. Oh, we rob God of His glory by distrust. By not understanding that we're living out this life of Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. Yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. When Christ shall appear, when Christ, who is my life, shall appear. You see that? Who is my life? You couldn't understand Paul if you didn't know Christ. If you didn't know what Christ was like, He was an utter fool to you. And I tell you, brothers, that it should take Christ to explain you to anybody. Christ is our life. We live Christ out in the arena of His rejection. What do you think is going to happen? You think that there's going to be suddenly a new attitude in the culture? And they're going to say, oh, I'm so glad you live on my block. I'm so glad you've come to live out Christ. No, the Bible says, John 3.19, men love darkness rather than light. You have a concordance look that word up. To my amazement, first time I ever saw a concordance on a computer was looking up the word love. And it said John 3.19. I said, it, agape, it can't be agape. John 3.19. And looked over there in the Greek thing and it's agape. Men have an agape love for darkness rather than light. Because their deeds are evil. And you live out this Christ life in the arena of Christ's rejection, you're going to be rejected. They who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The, the church loves to sing every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Well, that's one of the promises. Live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. Why? Because we're living out that holy life, that life that delights God in the arena of His rejection. But at the very same time, He is at the place of His acceptance. He took upon Himself the form of man. He lived His life without sin. He's not ashamed to be called our brethren. He's the captain of our salvation. He did it! All things were put under subjection to man, but we don't see man in dominion. But Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because He lived His whole life in meekness to the Father, in dependence upon the Father, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, in submission to the Father. He did it! 
when he was brought before the the council and the scribes and the Pharisees and and the high priest and and a Jewish brother told us that there may have been over 300 people. And for those long hours that stretched into a, a day to days, he was scrutinized, he was questioned, he was he was put on trial, he was he was asked to give testimony. People brought witness against him and finally at the end of that ordeal one stood and said, "I find no fault in him." He was God's perfect sacrifice. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And He is acceptable to the Father. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says to the world that that is God's man. That is what God approves of. That is what God delights in. And there will never be anybody else or anything else that God delights in. That resurrected man is God's total delight. And He is accepted at the Father's right hand. It's the place of His acceptance. It's the place of His exaltation. And while I represent Him here as He is, I am in the world. And I represent Him here. Folks, now look, the position and the condition are not always the same thing. And what the world sees is the way we represent Him in our condition. They don't know about the position. And so we represent Him here in the place of His rejection as we are. And that's something to pray about. And that's something to long for the enablings of the Holy Spirit for. So that we can be a for Him and through Him man. And while I'm, while I'm representing Him here in the place of His rejection, He's representing me there in the place of His acceptance. He's representing me as He is. He's a faithful and a merciful high priest. Touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's just worship the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.